Mile High Magic is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Broncos ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. There's so many great features on Game Time that you got to check out. It's so simple, quick, and easy to navigate. You can get tickets from all major leagues and teams. You can even get the panoramic seat view photos from every section. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. I can tell this organization is committed to winning. The Broncos, they do have incredible fans that love this team, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Another takeaway for this Denver defense, and 58 is right in the middle of all of it. Wow! Touchdown, Denver! Unbelievable! Oh my goodness, what a play! Well, who needs a quarterback with experience anyway, right? Hello, everyone. Welcome inside Mile High Magic. Alongside my partner, Nikki Javala, I am Michael Spencer. Coming to you after a 24-19 win for the Broncos over the Browns in the debut of Brandon Allen. Nikki, I am all aboard the Allen Express. Broncos going to win the Super Bowl. They are never losing another game with this quarterback from Arkansas who has played one game in the NFL, and now I am a full all on believer. The Broncos are back. <laughs> <laughs> Super Bowl, what Super Bowl are we in? Super Bowl 54. Right. Here we go. <laughs> this was the problem all along. They could have had Brandon Allen after Peyton Manning if they had just played their cards right. Unbelievable that it took this long to find the guy. No, look, obviously we're being very facetious. Um, but if you're if you're a member of Broncos country and a, a faithful of the orange and blue, then obviously a lot to celebrate with a win over the Browns. Um, and let's talk about Brandon Allen. He is obviously the the cog that led them to that victory. Uh, he wasn't outstanding, but I thought he was really good and and they just needed him to be really good. And for a guy who was playing in his first ever game and a guy who had never taken a snap prior to Sunday, I thought he was everything that they needed him to be. Absolutely. I think the two most impressive things to me were his pocket awareness, because even the 11 year veteran Joe Flacco seemed to lack that at times. Um, he knew when he had to get out of the pocket, he had to scramble, he had to, you know, uh, unload the ball quickly. I think also he didn't play scared. Um, you know, he, he looked like he belonged and like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't always perfect, but he also didn't try to play beyond himself. He didn't try to, you know, take too many shots when it was unwarranted, but he also wasn't scared to, you know, launch one downfield. So I, I think his play and the game plan designed by Rich Gangarello, who a week earlier was uh, under a lot of fire um, for how that Colts game ended. I, I thought both of them did quite well. I mean, it was a perfect plan um, for this quarterback, for their personnel. Um, everything just came together. Yeah, I'll be honest. When they had that first drive, the Broncos offense, and they come out and they go three and out, and Brandon Allen kind of goes into the fetal position uh, at one point too, and 
like thinks that he's about to be sacked and there's not really anybody around him to sack him. Uh, and Kevin Harlan, I think it was on the broadcast said, Oh, he was feeling the pressure that wasn't really there. And you're like, Oh no, this is going to be really, really bad. Um, and then I thought from then on, he was, he was really, really solid. Mm And, uh, you're right. I thought he had great pocket. Well, I thought he had really good pocket awareness. He, they ended up with, with three sacks on Brandon Allen. If it had been Joe Flacco playing quarterback, you feel like there would have been five or six, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned Rich Scangarello. Even though Joe Flacco was not playing in that game against the Browns, I have to think that Scangarello had that in the back of his mind right? Had Flacco's comments after the indie game about why are we not being more aggressive? What do we have to lose? Why are we doing this, you know, basically blank playing so conservative? I have to think that that factored into his game plan, either, either on Sunday or certainly leading up to the game. And if that's the case, then props to Joe Flacco, because maybe that's the kick in the pants that Rich Gangarello needed. Well, I say props to the coaching staff too, because you know, we've been through two other staff changes only recently. And how many times were those staffs unwilling to adjust? I, I you know, Kubiak, it's hard to fault. I mean, he brought the team their third Super Bowl championship, did what probably a few other coaches could in benching Peyton Manning for the stretch. But in 2016, how many times did we see the same 15-play script to open and we're all banging our head against the wall? Like, this is not working. Why are we doing the same thing over and over? And then with Musgrave and McCoy, I mean, they would go three wide so many times that they didn't have the line that could hold up and protect in those situations. But here you got, you know, a head coach who already adjusted the defense and that's made all the difference. And now you got the offensive coordinator who has been willing and capable of adjusting the system. So I I think those two things are, are incredibly promising. And yeah, I mean, Kudos to Flacco, but kudos to the staff for listening and actually making the adjustments instead of, you know, telling the media, well, it's the players have to play better. The coaches have to coach better. I'm so sick of that line. Um, they, they actually made changes. That was a favorite line of Vance Joseph. Oh, yeah. Wasn't yeah. it? That like, oh, my gosh. You could. That and he's tall. That was yes. those were our two favorite yeah. lines. Yep. You knew those were coming out of Vance Joseph's mouth at some point during the press conference, depending upon which question was going to be asked. But I think that was huge, too. And, and we've talked so much about Vic Fangio and the changes that he's made on the defense. And now to see Rich Gangarello do that and for Vic Fangio to empower him to do that, I, I thought was really, really big. So um, that was was a huge thing for me, too, because you know that they had to at least give Brandon Allen a chance. And and I thought they did that. And he made the most of those chances too. I mean, one of the plays that stuck out to both of us was that, that pass to Noah Fant, not the big, the big touchdown, but I think it was like maybe a second and four was a play action. They were deep in their own rolling out to his Mm -hmm. right. I mean, that to me, you noted it in the notes. It was, I thought maybe his best pass of the day. Um, and he had the option there, like he could have run it and he did earlier in the game. And when he threw it, I was like, Oh really? And then he dropped a beautiful ball in, uh, to fan who made a really good grab. And so that to me was, a was an example of the coaching staff putting Brandon Allen into positions to succeed, which is huge. In addition to being more aggressive, they made smart play calls, which Mm -hmm. I think was big. And I think in doing that, he put a lot of the younger guys in positions to succeed, which they've needed. Um, 
you know, your first year, you're bogged down by penalties, mistakes, whatever. You're kind of swimming your first year anyway, especially in an offense that is so different from what you were used to running in college that it can be um, as much as much of a, a physical transition as a mental transition, usually more mental than physical. Um, and you can see that with Noah Fant. You know, he had the drops, he had the penalties, just the general mistakes. You know, there are already fans wondering, oh, gosh, is he a bust, which I hate, not even midway through the first year for a player. But anyway, he, he came through at his first 100-yard game, and all he had three catches that were just huge. I mean, three catches for 115 yards. They were all off play action. Um, there was that second and four on the run, the 75-yard touchdown, um, and then another one uh, on a, a shallow crosser. But that game was huge for Noah Fan. You could see it you know, the mistakes of the past kind of chipping away at his confidence. Um, I mean, that he, he needed that. And you look at the receivers, they have a young receiving core now that Emmanuel's gone. Cortland had a huge game. He's had some big games all year. Um, so I, I think the offensive game plan was really big, really great for the guys they had on the field, um, and especially the quarterback. Well, and I think that jump ball to Sutton on the Broncos' second drive, their first touchdown, that one in the end zone too, like that wasn't necessarily a great throw. No, that by was Brandon a terrible Allen. throw, and he admitted it. <laughs> <laughs> but but what you're doing is you're putting your playmakers in position to go make plays, right? Like you're throwing the ball up to Cortland Sutton and trusting that he is going to be able to go make a play. Maybe he doesn't come down with it. Maybe he bats it away. But whatever. But you're giving him that opportunity, mm-hmm. and you ha- they didn't do that in the previous eight games. Leading up to Sunday, you know, and so it was nice to see that. And then Cortland Sutton rewarded him by going and making a great play, which we all know that he's capable of doing. Um, and so so that to me was huge, too. And what what I start to see now is now that Emmanuel Sanders is gone, the Broncos have basically empowered their young players if because they have no other option. Um, they have empowered their young players to go make plays. And guys like Cortland Sutton, guys like Philip Lindsay, uh, guys like Noah Fant, the, this core group of young guys on the offensive side of the football is super talented. And we're starting to see that. And I, I'm really, if you're a Bronco fan, you got to really, really love the opportunities that are there, that are going to be there for these guys. I'm really looking forward to what they do, not only for the rest of this year, but obviously in the years to come as well. And I, I, there's a difference in that locker room, and I don't want to pin it all on Emmanuel or whoever else was or was not there, but you know what? With successes and bits, it can change the locker room. Um, but I also think the mentality of a lot of these younger guys right now mesh well with the mentality of some of the vets, the Super Bowl holdovers, guys like Chris Harris and Derek Wolf, um, who, who really work to get to where they are and know what it takes to win at the highest level. Um, and, and for the last few years, we've seen a lot of clashes between younger guys and older guys. You know, younger guys either don't want to put in the work or the older guys feel like they're not putting in the work or whatever. But you get the sense from this group that, you know, guys like Chris are, are willing and happy to help guys like Devonte Harris, who has, who has said many times, you know, Chris has been willing to answer all my questions and I have a ton of them. And, you know, Vaughn was the first one to welcome me. I talked to Devonte uh, Monday about, you know, what, what has held this defense together because there are a lot, it's kind of been a piecemeal group 
because of injuries and whatnot. Um, and he said a lot of it is on the veterans for kind of being the glue. And that's not something we heard in recent years. There's just been more infighting because of the losing. Well, and you and I are in the Broncos locker room multiple times a week. And today, Monday afternoon, yes, it's coming off a win. Yes, it's the one day they were going to be there this week. But everybody's about to go on vacation. But that was the most energetic locker room that I have been in all season long and maybe even dating back to the past couple of years. I mean, there have been times where you and I and the rest of the media that are there at Broncos headquarters have gone into that locker room and it has been dead. Yeah. You know, I mean, there have been guys sitting at the table, maybe one or two guys today, everybody, they were playing dominoes. They were playing Uno. I mean, they were yelling and having a good time. And, and it was such a different vibe in there. It was unlike anything that we have seen this entire season. Yeah, no, I think this team is really coming together. And I think some of us, we, we expected it because this is not an easy offense, especially for younger guys coming out of the spread. Um, guys like Noah Fant, who are not used to taking on all this responsibility as a tight end, that they're just not asked to do all that they are in this offense. But also the defense. I mean, that's a complicated system. Um, and it takes time to develop the chemistry, the communication with the guys around you. And the Broncos defense, because of injuries, because of poor performance, you know, they've had to change those starters many times over. Um, you know, the, the 11 they have on the field now is certainly not the 11 they envisioned in training camp. I mean, a lot of those guys weren't even on the roster. Um, so it's taken some time. But, I mean, that defense is impressive. And I, I think they get overlooked because of their overall record. But the numbers they're posting this year, I mean, especially in the red zone, and that's – it's. I think it might be a franchise record right now. I the stats only go back to 95. So it's certainly the best in the past 24 years. But the point is they're doing things that, you know, not even the 2015 defense did. And flat out, they don't win that game Sunday against the Browns if it's not for that defense, right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody's high on the offense because you didn't know what to expect from Brandon Allen. And he came in and played well. They scored 24 points that tied their season high. Most points they've had this year in a victory, but they do not win that game without the defense and without the defense bowing up big time inside the red zone. They held Cleveland to just one for five because the offense put them in some pretty bad spots. I mean, Cleveland started at one point when, when the Broncos were up seven, nothing Cleveland started at the Denver 40 Broncos hold them to a field goal. Then Cleveland gets the ball after the Devontae Spencer, uh, excuse me, Deontay Spencer uh, turnover at the 18. They had a first and goal from the four and the defense holds them to a field goal. Then they get the stop on fourth and one at the five. I mean, they do not win this game against the Browns without a huge defensive performance. And that is what we've started to see over the last couple of weeks. And it really is all coming together for them. At least it seems that way on the defensive side of the football. And I thought they were much more aggressive from a play calling standpoint too. And I know you referenced this on Twitter this morning with the Justin Simmons blitz, um, which I thought was a huge, huge play. I thought the Broncos were more aggressive in in sending blitzes and trying to pressure uh, Baker Mayfield a little bit more. And I thought that made a huge difference as well. Yeah, it was interesting because we asked um, we asked Vic if they changed anything on defense, much like they altered things on offense. And he said, no, nothing's changed on defense. Um, but then he was asked specifically about that blitz, and he was pretty pumped about that play. Um, because as, you know, I, I tweeted out, and you can see it in the broadcast, it, it looks like he's 
he is ready for this play. He he's yelling from the sideline, get down, get down, get down, Justin. Um, and then immediately Justin runs up to the line of scrimmage and takes off. Um, perfectly timed, well executed, just the right play at the right time. Um, but Vic also really loves Justin Simmons. Um, well, who doesn't right, right now? I mean, that guy is playing yeah. out of his mind. He is just going to back up the Brinks truck to whichever oh, team yeah. it is, whether it's the Broncos or somebody else. That dude is about to get paid. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he's an athletic freak, but he yelled, he's smart too. Um, and he's he's not afraid to hit anybody. So um, he's got all three working for him. But, you know, I, I, that play kind of in a nutshell was – what the Broncos game was like in totality. I mean, they just were not afraid to take chances and they paid off, you know, for the most part. Um, so yeah, I, I think you hope anyway that this game is kind of a launching point and they don't go back to, you know, losing two or three because of, you know, mistakes of their own making, you know? Yeah. I loved what Vic Fangio said today. He said, yes, we're three and six. Could we be better? Yes. Could we be worse? No, <laughs> you know, I mean, and he's right. Like, um, he called them, uh, so he was, see, he was asked about it and somebody referred to them as walk-off losses. And, you know, the Broncos have had basically three of them. Um, and, and Fangio was kind of funny. He's like, yeah, I noticed those kickers have not necessarily had the same luck the next week. And Adam Vinatieri being the most recent one. Um, and, and so, I mean, they really have fallen on, on some hard times and you do, you worry about that because, okay, now the tape is out on Brandon Allen, at least at least a game's worth, right? Um, and, and they didn't have a ton of snaps, and they only threw the ball 20 times, but the film is out there now. And, and so that obviously is a bit of an area of concern because people now know about him and, and know what, at least they can get a sense of how they're going to try and attack him. You know, and then I think the other thing that, that you have to worry about is four of their next five games are on the road. Yeah. And and they're all against playoff quality uh, caliber type teams. You know, so, I mean, you're looking at going to Minnesota, you're looking at going to Indianapolis, you're looking at going to Houston, excuse me, not Indianapolis. Uh, I was thinking Arrowhead, which comes a, a little bit later. I think the the very last game in that stretch of four out of five games on the road. So it's not necessarily going to be a cakewalk for this team moving forward when they come back from the bye. No, I mean, this is a huge challenge. I think this gives them, you know, a, a good foundation to build on as they take some time off and Vic Fangio is giving them a full week off, which these players need because they've been going hard since training camp and their training camp was a lot longer than everybody else's. But yeah, when they return, it's, it's not going to be easy. I mean, like you mentioned right off the bat, it's Vikings and bills, both on the road. You come back, you host the chargers, then you go back on the road for two games at Houston and Kansas city. Um, and then they close it out with Detroit and Oakland at home. So I mean they're they're three and six, not completely out of it, um, but they have a really. I'm just trying to be the optimist here. They have I was going to say, who are you? <laughs> but they have a rough stretch. It's it's not going to be yeah, easy. You just no, hope they can sure. they can find things to continue to build on because this this season they're not they're not going to you know. It's going to end at some point soon. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, I think, and there's obviously a faction of the fan base 
and there has been the past couple of years because the season has gone south in a hurry. Um, there's there's a faction in the fan base that says, okay, let's just start taking, uh, let's let's get the best draft pick possible, whatever. First of all, the guys on the field aren't going to do that, right. literally because their jobs are at stake if they do that. If the guys start to play poorly, they will be replaced, and nobody as a human being wants that. The other factor there, too, is – you want these young guys to have some success, right? Like how great would it be for Philip Lindsay and Cortland Sutton and Noah Fan and Dalton Reisner and and Justin Simmons wherever he ends up next year to go into this offseason feeling like, hey, you know what? We built a little something toward the end of the year there. Yeah, we got off to a rough start, but we feel really good about where we are heading into next season based on how we finished. There's not going to be a coaching change. There probably won't even be a change of coordinator. So you feel like if they can keep this nucleus together, get a couple games rolling here toward the end of the season, then they're going to be in really, really good shape for the start of the 2020 season. Especially for veteran pieces that they need to keep. I mean, Teams are going to be throwing a lot of money at Justin Simmons. You got to give him reason to stay after three losing seasons. You know, Chris Harris, I don't know that Chris Harris is going to find as many riches as he thinks he's going to find on the open market, but he's the best corner of the game. Nikki, what are you talking about? One receiver every game. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I think the way the defense is playing, it's, it's less reason for him to go chasing top dollar instead of staying here and really trying to build something and Bangio system because he does love the system. He does love the coaching staff. I mean, he's told you when he does not love a coaching staff and a system. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think it's key, like you said, for the younger guys, but also for some of the veteran guys who still have some time left. I mean, Simmons has a whole career ahead of him, but like Chris, you know, some of the other guys, like maybe Shelby Harris is kind of changing his tune. I know he was pretty frustrated at first, um, especially after the long camp. You know, he's he's had a heck of a season so far. I think he leads all defensive linemen in batted passes. So maybe he's changing his tune. Hey, speaking of Shelby Harris, you know who I think has played really, really well and kind of gone under the radar is Derek Wolf. Mm-hmm. I mean, it feels like he has found the fountain of youth in the last couple of games. He's got a Three kid sacks, now. He had a, right. <laughs> yeah, seriously. He's drinking out of the baby bottle. He's got a new sponsorship, I think, with Pampers. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, he's and that's a legit. Man. Not for Derek, obviously. Um but, but, yeah, I mean, he has played really, really yeah. well the last couple of games. Three sacks, had the big pass deflection. Um, that's been really, really nice to see, especially for a guy who, as we know, has battled so many injuries throughout his career and a guy who was talked about as potential candidate during the trade deadline. Right, right. And he said all along he wants to retire here. I mean, this is where he's been his entire career. This is where he, you know, found his wife, started a family. And, you know, we've talked about this on previous episodes that, you know, family is everything to Derek Wolf. Um, so you hope he can kind of close out his career here. I don't know what that would mean if the Broncos would want to try to keep him for a year, two years, um, because you, you can't ignore the injury history, even though he's been very healthy this season. I, I think what's helped him significantly, and he said this too, is he's in a system that is just perfect for him. Um, Wade Phillips was great for him too, but he's getting his own in Vic Fangio system. Whereas in Wade's, you know, it's a lot of setting up for Von Miller. Um, but he now leads the team in sacks. So um, he, he's he got to be pleased with 
what he's put out there this season. Hey, what do you think the ceiling is? And we kind of touched on this earlier when we talked about Cortland Sutton and how well he has played. But what do you think the ceiling is for him? Because to me, he is doing all of this while being the number one receiver and not having a number two in the last couple of games ever since they traded Emmanuel. I mean, you look at the game against Cleveland, he was the only receiver other than Noah Fant at tight end who was doing anything for the Broncos. I mean, Deontay Spencer did a little bit, but I am really impressed with what Cortland Sutton has done this season, especially given how he looked in training camp. Yeah. Like, you remember back in the in the summer, we were all sitting there like, what, ha- what happened to Cortland Sutton? You know, like where, where has he been? I've been really, really impressed with what he's been able to do this season ever since the regular season has started, really. Yeah, it's kind of scary to think what his ceiling can be. I mean, yeah. uh, his first year, he could pretty much only run a go route um, and then just leap over somebody because he's just so big and so athletic. But now he's got the full route tree. Um, it, it, it's clear he just understands the game better. Um, I was impressed by this week because they, they only had three days of full practice and they weren't like, con- they weren't like hard hitting practices. I mean, these were mostly walkthroughs. Saturday was a walkthrough. So he had three days with a brand new quarterback um, and clearly an adjusted game plan too, but it didn't seem like they missed a beat. I mean, there were a couple throws that were off. He helped uh, Brandon Allen quite a bit with that touchdown. But, you know, he he played very much in his element. Um, And I think with his size, his speed, um, his catch radius, his strength, I just think he's a nightmare for opposing corners. I'm excited to see what happens with him when Tim Patrick comes back. And if Deshaun Hamilton can ever start to produce in this offense, and I know Deshaun is is frustrated with kind of how his year has gone, and I think everybody in Broncos country is frustrated mm-hmm. with Deshaun because of how his year has gone as well. Uh, but I'm I'm really excited to see that because what I'm seeing from Cortland Sutton now is everybody knows they're going to Cortland Sutton, yet they can still go to Cortland Sutton because he's still open and he's still making grabs. And if he's doing that without anybody opposite of him, who's even a threat to the defense, then I think once they get somebody who can be a threat, he's, it's going to go up even more. I mean, he's a receiver in a tight end's body. I mean, this is, you know, he's, he's playing. I don't want to say he's playing like DT did in his prime, but this is, Probably what a, a super healthy DT would be, right? Because um, DT had so many injuries at the start of his career, too. Um, but given his size and athleticism, I mean, this is what the Broncos have lacked for a long time. Um, and I think they're now seeing this, you know, the, the early bit of it with Noah Fant, too, just having mm-hmm. that tight end who's a threat and then having a bigger receiver like, like Cortland. I, I think it's going to really open up this offense for him, if they can stay consistent. Um, You know what's interesting, though, is I I think for the longest time there were so many calls of, why don't they just blow it up? The season's not going well. They're going to be, you know, they're on track for their third losing season. If you look at this offense, in some ways they kind of did. I mean, the average age of this offense is 25 years old. I mean, there are guys that, you know, have hardly played, and yet – their so-called blow-up has produced some of their greatest production, too. I mean, the, the kids are doing just fine out there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look at the guys who are making plays, 
and and look at the offensive line. Okay, you got Connor McGovern who's still on his rookie contract. You got Garrett Bowles who's still on his rookie contract and obviously has had some issues. You got Dalton Reisner who is only a rookie. Those three guys are relatively young. You got Elijah Wilkinson who nobody thought was even going to maybe even make the team or certainly wasn't going to be a starter. Um, and then your playmakers are all young. I mean, they're all super super young. So they the Broncos didn't mean to uh rebuild you know like they they tried really hard to refuse to rebuild but because they've missed so much in the draft they've almost been forced to rebuild by playing all of these young players and i i I really do get the sense that okay maybe not this year right maybe next year maybe 2021 is when you really start to see all of those dividends really start to pay off yeah and i think you're seeing it in all three phases too i mean not necessarily with the youth, but the inexperience, the odd mix of guys. Um, this is something I kind of wrote about Monday is just how they've had to turn to a lot of guys. They maybe initially brought in for depth or um, just additional pieces to, you know, kind of fill in for guys that were injured. And a lot of these players have are now starters. I mean, look at Devontae Harris, who, you know, was the third option, actually the fourth option, you know, at cornerback. Bryce Callahan, the starter, was out. I mean, Isaac Yedham struggled. Devontae Bosby, you know, an AAF player, went down with an injury. And now here's Devontae Harris starting and having great games. Um, you know, Alexander Johnson was out of football for 40 years, and now he's a starting inside linebacker. Um, Duke Dawson never saw the field with the Patriots, and now it's their nickel corner. You see it in all three phases, too, like Deontay Spencer. I mean, he's he's top five in punt return yards. Um, he's had some key catches, some mistakes, too. But he also had that block on Philip Lindsay's touchdown run. Um, Andrew Beck, the tight end fullback, who was supposed to be here for only a few weeks when Nandy Janovich was hurt and now he's a key piece of that offense. So It's almost as if as bad as John Elway has been in his draft picks, he's been – as good at finding guys who go under the radar, right? And like the Broncos hang their hats on the undrafted guys. And we know about Phil and Chris, but Mike Purcell, you know, and all those guys that you just mentioned, he's, he fits into that category. There are guys who other teams didn't see as contributors who one have been forced to contribute too, but then who have also played really, really big roles in this for this team right now. And and that's another thing where it could pay really big dividends down the road. So yes, we've given Elway a lot of grief over his draft picks and he deserves a lot of grief over those draft picks. But I think you got to tip the hat to the scouting department um, and, and Elway too, because they've found some, some diamonds in the rough. Maybe they should just skip the draft. Right. Seriously. Trade away all the picks <laughs> and just go with undrafted. It's probably cheaper. Malik Reed. I mean, it's cheaper. You know? Like, yes. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> We've figured out the strategy. answer for the Broncos. Why don't, you, why don't you float that to John the next yeah, time we have yeah. him in a press conference? I'll let you know See my that goes over. Yeah, that should go over great. <laughs> uh, all right. You want to get to our over-unders from last week? Oh, gosh. Yeah, let's hear it. No, you'll actually be excited. I was did I terrible. win? I had a, I had I a terrible week. Uh, you did. I didn't yeah. even get a single one right. That's uh, that's embarrassing. Um, our over under the score 
and I told everybody all week, I was like, take the under, take the under, take the under. I didn't see this coming. The the Vegas over under was 39. You and I both said it would be under that. Uh, it ended up being 43. So uh, congratulations to the Broncos and the Browns for, for pushing that over. That's a, it's a win for both teams right there. Uh, Brandon Allen total touchdowns. We set it at a, a touchdown and a half, and he ended up having two. Uh, you took the over. <laughs> win. And, uh, and, and I took the under. Um, so you get the victory there. Times Brandon Allen will be sacked. You were Debbie Downer and took the over. We set it at two and a half. Uh, you took the over, and I took the under. So that's another victory for you. I like to think of it as a realist, not Debbie right. Downer. No, I'm that's all fair. about facts. That's fair. To be fair, there were like three self-sacks there. I mean, like the one where he curled up in the fetal position, the one right before halftime when the Browns got the penalty, and then he – I don't know why the Broncos decided to run a play there like they were going to yeah. do something. I was like, this has pick six or sack fumble written all over it. Brandon Allen just gave himself up. So whatever, I, I'll give you that. There's no designation protest, with the sacks. You know, it's just one it, – they're just all sacks. I win. What else? Uh, Broncos, Broncos takeaways – uh, we both lose. We set the over under at one and they didn't have a single takeaway, which is a bit concerning, especially yes. given that the Browns love to turn the football over to the other team. Uh, it is a bit concerning as much as we talked about how well the defense played, that they didn't have a takeaway and and that this is continuing to be a thing for this Denver yeah. defense. They almost had one. Malik almost had one in the middle of the field. And I, I thought yeah, Alexander Johnson was going to come up with a tip. Um, and they almost had two. I, well, I don't know. I think that fourth and four, they were just swatting it away, um, to seal the game. There was another pass breakup by Devonta Harris in the end zone, which ultimately. And Chris Harris almost had two that ended up being really sweet catches for old Beckham Jr. Yes, that is correct. That is correct. Um, That's going to sit with him for a while. And then they did have a turnover. They did have a turnover on downs. That is correct. So I don't. So we I don't, don't take that in the yeah. takeaways category. But what can you do? So you're you not too concerned all. that they didn't force yeah. a turnover, is what you're telling me. They need to get more. They need to improve in the pass rush and get more takeaways. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and Vic Fangio kind of said that today. He said he said that the coverage is really the the area where he feels like the defense needs to improve the most. Uh, despite their their big numbers, uh, the Bulls holding over under. We set it at one. You and I, well, no, you went over, I went under, but it doesn't matter. It's a push. It was at one exactly. Should be an odds maker in my spare time. Um, <laughs> Your side hustle? Yeah, nice. right, exactly. Um, which former A&M Aggie would have the most sacks between Vaughn Miller or Miles Garrett? Uh, neither guy recorded a sack, so that was a push as well. Uh, we both chose Miles Garrett for the record. What did you think about Von Miller's performance? I, I thought he was okay. You know, yeah. I mean, I feel like he could have had a sack. There was one opportunity uh, where he could have had a sack. He didn't pop up like as I as I watched the game live, but going back and watching it again this morning, um, I, I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, no, I thought he was good too. I think he's been really good in the run um, this whole season. I think it's just tough. He's always got two or three guys on him. You know, there's only so much you can do, even if you're Von Miller. 
Um, but that has also created opportunity for Derek Wolf, Justin Simmons. Well, he wasn't in the game when Justin Simmons got a sack, but it has created opportunity for other guys. So you hope he gets his. Uh, though. Our final. What'd you say? I hope he gets his though, just because the Broncos yeah. need it. <laughs> yeah, the Broncos need that, and and I think Vaughn needs yeah. it. Like Vaughn needs a little pick me up yeah. here. He needs a good sack fumble or, yeah. uh, you know, a three-sack game or something like that. Uh, finally, which LSU Tiger will have more yards? If I remember correctly, you and I both said Landry. Yes. What was it? Yeah, Beckham. Uh, Thank you, Chris Harris. OBJ ended up winning. Yeah. We thought that OBJ was going to be covered by Chris Harris, and that was what lended us to uh, to go with with Landry, which wasn't necessarily a bad choice. You take away the two big gains that OBJ had. Um, and he, he really didn't do much. Yeah. And Landry had the touchdown too, but yeah. Oh, Chris, what can you do? So, what can you yeah. do? Well, now we have a bye, a week off and then they get ready to go to Minnesota. Um, so in the meantime, it's a good time to check out some of our NBA content. Um, we have a new Athletic Denver podcast, courtesy of Nick Kosmeter and Kendra Andrews, who are who cover the Nuggets for us. Um, be sure to check out Rainbow Skyline. Um, Nick and Kendra do an amazing job of bringing you all the things you need to know about the Denver Nuggets. Um, they record at least twice a week. Really good stuff. I mean, they're always over there. Nick has been covering the team for quite some time. So um, be sure to check out Rainbow Skyline. And until then, we'll be back next week. Yeah, we'll be back with you uh, later this week. And if you want to, if you have questions during the bye week, if you have some thoughts, make sure you hit us up. Uh, You can find us easily on Twitter. And uh, we'll get into those in uh, in one of our next couple of podcasts. we got two more podcasts coming for you before we get you our podcast, uh, kind of previewing the Vikings game, uh, which will be uh, in about a week and a half from now. So plenty of stuff to talk about between now and then. And uh, until then, thanks so much for hanging out with us here on Mile High Magic.